Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, and we'll be in verses 14 through 20 this morning. And since we are taking the Lord's Supper today, I took the freedom to jump ahead in our series, Come and Dine, and skip a meal or two that Jesus had with others and went to the Last Supper, which is a very significant meal in the life and the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. You know, we've been looking at instances in the life of ministry of Jesus where he shares a meal for the purpose of revealing his person, his purpose, and his mission. And the meal we're going to look at this morning, the Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper as some call it, the mission, the purpose, and the person of Jesus could not be made any clearer. Because at the Last Supper, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples and he led them to observe Passover, also known as Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And Jesus used this opportunity to give his disciples an experience they would never forget. As he would take an old symbol and he would give it new meaning and he would give it new significance. And during the course of this meal, the meaning of Jesus' words and actions is rooted in his command to remember. You know, there used to be a store located in malls called Things Remembered. I'm not sure it's in many malls anymore, but it used to be a very popular store, and that's where you could go and get items engraved to give to someone to commemorate a very special occasion. And for one who would receive such a gift, it becomes a treasure as people, they like to remember happy times. They like to remember significant events that happened in their life. And it's our memories that connect us to people and places and events that have impacted our lives. And in this meal that Jesus had with his disciples, he did not want his disciples to ever forget this moment. Nor did he want them to ever forget its meaning as what Jesus did at this meal. It had historical significance. It had personal significance. And it had redemptive significance. And for us as disciples of Jesus, we are to observe the Last Supper in remembrance of what Jesus did did for all. As we sang this morning, we are to remember His love. We are to remember how great His love is. We are to remember the debt that He paid. A debt that He didn't owe and a debt that we cannot pay. Jesus is the only one who could pay our sin debt and He did by going to the cross. And we are to praise Him for what He did for us. And we are to remember what He did for us. And one way we can do that is by observing the Lord's Supper. And as we go through this passage this morning, I want us to be reminded of what we are to remember, what we are to never forget as we come to the Lord's table. Let's look at Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 20. It says, when the hour came, he, meaning Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them and said, 
This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. I want to share with you four things that the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, should remind us of this morning. The first thing is the Lord's Supper should remind us to remember the sovereignty of God. The Lord's Supper should remind us to remember the sovereignty of God. In verse 14, the very first phrase is, when the hour had come. That simple phrase points to the sovereignty of God. Meaning God has power, God has wisdom, God has authority to do anything He chooses. He is above all things, He's before all things, He creates all things, He rules all things, He knows all things, He can accomplish all things. The sovereignty of God means that God is in complete control. And when it comes to our salvation, God was completely in control. God knew exactly what needed to be done before it needed to be done. In fact, God had a plan in place to deal with our sin before sin even entered the world. In His foreknowledge, God knew we would sin. He knew we would rebel against Him. He knew the only way we could overcome our sin was through the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve had sinned and, and had eaten the fruit that they were told not to eat, and they were facing their punishment, Listen to what God tells him in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head, meaning Satan, and you will strike his heel or crush his heel. This is a reference to the cross. This is a reference to Jesus, that Jesus would, would crush Satan, even though Jesus would be stricken by Satan on the cross that Jesus in the end would crush Satan because of the cross. And then in Revelation 3.18 it says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Why would John in Revelation say the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world? Because the plan of salvation was put in place before the world was even created. Jesus knew this plan of salvation. He knew what He would have to do even before the world was created. He knew He was the Lamb that was going to be slain. And He knew there was a perfect time for Him to carry out God's plan of salvation. In John 7, 6 verse through 8. Jesus told them, meaning his brothers, My time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me, because I test about it, testify about it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival yet, because my time has not yet fully come. Jesus knew that it was not yet his time to go to the cross, and that time was soon coming, but that was not it. But then we get to John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When we get to John 13, Jesus knew the time had come for him to carry out God's plan of salvation that was put in place before the creation of the world. 
You see, there was never a moment in Jesus' life when God was not in control. The timing of Jesus' birth was perfect. Galatians 4.4 says, When the completion of the time came... What time was that it's speaking of? There were 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God was silent with His people because of their rebellion and their disobedience, known as the intertestamental period. And it was after that time, after the completion of that time, we get to the Gospel of Matthew and we see the birth of Jesus Christ. So after 400 years of silence, Jesus, the promised Messiah, was born. The timing of his birth was perfect. The timing of his death was perfect. The Romans and Jews, even though they may have thought they were, they were not in control of Jesus when they arrested him and mocked him and nailed him to the cross. Throughout the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, the sovereignty of God and the power of God was on full display. Jesus came at the perfect time. Jesus died at the perfect time. Jesus was raised from the dead at the perfect time. Jesus ascended into heaven at the perfect time. And Jesus will return at the perfect time. That is the sovereignty of God. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus, it demonstrates that life can appear out of control when God is completely in control. Because God turned what appeared the greatest form of humiliation, which was the cross, and it was reserved for the worst of criminals. God turned that into the greatest demonstration of love. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated His love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think of Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph's brothers, they came before him when he was second in charge of Egypt through a set of circumstances in Joseph's life and when they came before Joseph they thought Joseph was going to hold a grudge against them for what they did to him throwing him into a pit so he could be sold into slavery because they were jealous of him so in coming before Joseph being second in charge in Egypt scripture says they threw themselves before Joseph and were now willing to be his slaves but Joseph looked at his brothers and said to them in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph was now in the position to save the lives of many people. Why? Because there was a famine that was coming. And Joseph was wise enough and smart enough to accumulate all this grain so they could survive the famine. And in Jesus' life, what the Romans and Jews intended for evil, God turned into good. Jesus was willing to die at the hands of the Romans and Jews so we would be saved, so that we could live. And through his death, many lives have been saved and will continue to be saved. And in our lives, we're going to go through difficult times. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through suffering just like Jesus did that makes no sense to us. However, because of the sovereignty of God, we can go through every difficult time with the confidence knowing that God is in control when everything around us seems to be in chaos. And just like in Jesus' life, there is never a moment in our lives where God is not sovereign. There is never a moment in our lives where God is not in control. And I think about what 
God brought out of the crucifixion of Jesus something that seemed so foolish to the world at the time. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us what God brought out of the cross. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. Jesus went to the cross so that we could be brought closer to God. You see, it was the cross that bridged the gap between us and God as Jesus was delivered over to death because of our sin. And because of the death of Jesus, death was arrested. Because of the death of Jesus, death was put to death. Because of the death of Jesus, our sins were forgiven. We were freely justified. And our relationship with God was restored. And what God did in the crucifixion of Jesus, He can do in our lives as well. You know, I love the song, Graves in the Gardens. And Jesus, He can bring beauty out of our ashes. He can turn our graves into gardens. He can turn our seas into highways. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. God had a plan for Jesus' life. And every part of Jesus' life pointed towards the fulfillment of that plan. And in our lives, as Romans 8.28 says, everything that happens in our lives points towards the fulfillment of God's plan for us. And as we take the Lord's Supper later on in the first service, I want to encourage you to reflect on and remember the sovereignty of God. That He is the ultimate source of all power. He is the ultimate source of all authority. He is the ultimate source of everything that exists. The second thing I want to share with you is we need to remember the Lord's Supper. Because we need to remember the new covenant of salvation of God. We need to remember the new covenant of salvation of God. Verse 15. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before, our, before I suffer. Why is Jesus so eager? Why does he so fervently desire to share this Passover meal with the disciples? I think there are at least three reasons. There may be more, but I'm going to share three of you with, with you this morning. One is this is his last official meal with the disciples. This is his last opportunity to share with them before he goes to the cross. And when you go to the Gospel of John and look at chapters 13 through 17... You see what Jesus did at the Last Supper with His disciples. In John 13, He washed their feet. In John 14 to 17, He he prayed for them and encouraged them and gave them wisdom to continue the mission that He had started. Secondly, I think He's excited to share this meal with them because Jesus desires to fellowship with those who know Him. Jesus is passionate about spending time with His disciples because He cares for them. And He wanted His disciples to know that even though He was leaving the world, even though He was going to die and rise again and and be ascended into heaven, that He was still going to be with His disciples and He still loved His disciples and He still cared for them. And I think the third thing is He was excited to share with the disciples that the Old Covenant... The covenant of the law that was marked by the shedding of the blood of lambs will be replaced by the new covenant. Marked by the shedding of the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. I think Jesus was excited to really reveal to his disciples what was going to happen to him and the significance it had for them. And you may wonder, why do we need a new covenant? 
Romans 3.20 says this, No flesh will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What that verse is saying is the law does not save us. We can't be good enough to be saved. But what the law does, it makes us aware of our sin, and it reveals to us that we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. And this is something God could only do through the giving of His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Our salvation is only possible because of what Jesus did for us. And in doing what He did, Jesus ushered in a new covenant of grace. This meal was significant in the ministry of Jesus, in the lives of the disciples, as He was giving new meaning to the Passover meal. And we can't lose sight of the fact that the Passover meal or the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, it had historical significance. It was important to the Jews and it's still important to them today. Why? Because in the book of Exodus, God sent ten plagues to to try to free His people from slavery in Egypt. And after each of the first nine plagues, Pharaoh's heart hardens a little more. And he still refuses to let God's people go. Then in Exodus 12, God sent the final plague, which was the angel of death. God was going to send an angel to kill the firstborn son of every family in Egypt. And certainly that would get Pharaoh's attention as he would also lose his firstborn son. But to protect the nation of Israel from this final plague, Moses instructs the Israelites to to sacrifice a lamb and to paint the doors of of their dwellings with the blood from the lamb. And that way when the angel of death passes over, their houses will be passed over and their firstborn would be spared. You know, Aaron, he's here this morning. I'm going to pick on him since he's here. When he was four years old, I think he was around four, one day Joni noticed there was red nail polish over his bedroom door frame. She asked Aaron, why is there nail polish over your door frame? He said, I was putting the blood over the doorpost. I don't want to die. We realized that somewhere in his preschool Sunday school lesson, they talked about the death angel coming. And he was scared to death, and he wanted to make sure that he wouldn't die. So he covered his door frame with nail polish. We wondered why our pet was missing. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but something we realized, he didn't put it on our door. He didn't put it on his brother's door. He only put it on his door. Thank you, son. But you know what? That's what this shows. That when you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your home, you wouldn't face death. And not only were the Israelites to put blood on the doorpost, God also instructed them to do something else, to pack some unleavened bread for the sudden escape they were soon to make. An unleavened bread, it has no yeast. And this was important since there would not be time to cook it and have the bread rise. And I'll come back to this in a few moments. But, but God commanded the Israelites to remember this event, to remember their exodus from Egypt with a Passover meal. And it was to take place the night before the festival of the unleavened bread. And this festival was to last seven days, as it says in Leviticus 23, verses 5 and 6. And the sacrifice of this lamb, 
the Passover meal. It became symbolic of Israel's deliverance from slavery as the life of the firstborn was saved because the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost of the home. You see, the Passover lamb that served as a substitute for the firstborn of Israel. And on Calvary, Jesus as the perfect lamb was our substitute as he paid the penalty for our sin. Everything that happened in the Passover was present in the sacrifice of Jesus. The sacrifice of the lamb, the shedding of the blood, the application of the lamb's blood. Without the death of the lamb and the shedding of blood, the firstborn would have suffered judgment and the wrath of God. Without the death of Jesus and the shedding of his blood on our behalf, We would have no hope of salvation. We would have to face eternal judgment. We would have to face the wrath of God. But because of the death of Jesus, the wrath of God was satisfied. And a new covenant was established. In his book, The Tale of the Tardy Ox Cart, Charles Swindoll tells the story of an eight-year-old Kenyan girl named Monica who fell into a pit and broke her leg. An older woman by the name of Mama Najiri, seeing what had happened, she climbed into the pit to rescue Monica. But in that pit, just wasn't Monica, there was also a black mamba, which was the most poisonous snake in Africa. And it bit both Monica and Mama Najiri. And both ladies were rushed to a medical center. Monica improved and survived, but tragically, Mama Janiri died. A nurse missionary explained to Monica that, that Mama Najiri was bitten first. And because she was bitten first, she received all of the Mamba's poisoning. And when the snake bit Monica, it had no poison left. The nurse went on to explain that Jesus had similarly taken the poison of our sin so that we can live. Monica understood what the nurse was saying and she gave her life to Christ. You see, the Lord's Supper is a powerful reminder of the gospel. How Jesus died for us. How Jesus took the sting of death, of, of death for us. The death of sin for us. To save us from eternal death. So we could have eternal life. And if we want to be saved from eternal death, we must do like the Israelites did. We must by faith. Apply the Lamb of God's blood to our hearts. The third thing I want to share is we need to remember the suffering Jesus endured. We need to remember the sovereignty of God. We need to remember that Jesus is ushering in a new covenant of salvation. And we need to remember the suffering Jesus endured. Verse 19, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus used an object lesson to help his disciples and us to understand who he was and why he came. Jesus takes the bread and says, This is my body which is given for you. That statement, this is for you, it has incredible personal significance. Jesus didn't die for the fun of it. Jesus didn't die to prove a point. (coughs) Jesus did not give his life for himself. Jesus gave his life for you. 
Jesus gave his life for me. We are the reason he came. And because of our sin, we are the reason he had to die the way that he did. And there's something significant about the bread, about the bread that's used during Passover. It's called matzah bread. I think we have a slide of, of matzah bread. Now what I want you to notice about this bread, it's, it's crisp, it's flat, it's unleavened, meaning it has no yeast, it's made of flour and water, and it's the only type of bread that Jews eat during Passover. But in the preparation process of making this bread, notice how it's striped, notice how it's pierced, notice how it's burnt around the edges. What this bread does, it represents the suffering that Jesus went through for us. And Jesus takes this special bread, this bread that is striped, this bread that is pierced, this bread that is bruised, and he looks at his disciples and says, this is my body. When Jesus said these words, I wonder if Isaiah 53 instantly popped into the disciples' minds. I wonder if that's the image that they conjured up, as this is what they thought of. Look at this slide of the cross. That's Jesus on the cross. Look at his body, striped and battered and bruised and wounded. Now as you look at that picture, listen to me as I read Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. He himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him, meaning Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. When we take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, I want you to think about the suffering that Jesus endured for us. How he went to the cross for us. How he was struck down for us. Also, there's something else significant about this bread. This bread to the Jews, it represented and was a reminder of God's provision for the journey out of slavery into freedom. And in Scripture, leaven represents sin. So by us eating unleavened bread, it, it symbolizes something much greater than, than physical freedom. It represents spiritual freedom. It represents a life that has been freed from the bondage of sin because of God's provision of salvation through the suffering of His Son, Jesus Christ. And by taking this bread, Jesus symbolized what was about to happen to Him. And he was letting the disciples know what it was going to mean for them that he was the suffering servant who was about to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah 53. And then after Jesus took the bread and broke it, he said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is telling the disciples and us that when you take the Lord's Supper, you are to remember the suffering that I went through for you so you could have forgiveness of sin, so you could have eternal life. So as we partake of the bread, we need to remember how Jesus suffered for us, how he was beaten, how he was flogged, how he was bruised, how he was battered, 
and then how he was nailed to the cross. And because of the suffering he endured for us, we can be saved. Last thing I want to share is we also need to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Verses 17 and 18. Then he took a cup. After giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then in verse 20. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. So after Jesus gave the disciples the bread, he took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant established by my blood. It's shed for you. So it's very clear what the cup represents. It represents the blood that Jesus was going to shed on the cross. What's interesting about Luke's account of the Last Supper is he references the cup twice. In verse 17 and verse 20 as we just read. But here's the difference. The first time Luke mentioned the cup in verses 15 and 16 was during the actual taking of the Passover meal. But when the cup is mentioned the second time, as it is in verse 20, notice it says, after the supper. What supper? After the Passover meal. So when we get to verse 20, Jesus is transitioning the disciples from the Passover meal to the Lord's Supper. Jesus is now officially instituting the Lord's Supper as to commemorate the new covenant. He's letting the disciples know that they would no longer need to look back to Egypt and Mount Sinai for their redemption. They would no longer need to sacrifice animals and celebrate a yearly day of atonement. Now they would be able to look to Jesus and His death on the cross as the only means and the sufficient means for their salvation. And until Jesus comes as believers, we're to do the same thing. We're to take the Lord's Supper to remember how He delivered us from the bondage of sin. And taking the Lord's Supper is one of the two ordinances of the church. The other is baptism. And these ordinances were instituted by Jesus for one reason. For the church to observe these events because of their spiritual significance in our lives. Jesus wants us to remember what he did for us. He wants us to never forget the suffering that he went through for us and the sacrifice that he made. And in the Passover meal, there are four cups based on Exodus 6, 5 through 7. Listen to Exodus 6, 5 through 7. Moses says, Furthermore, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the, Moses, who the, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, to all the Israelites, I am Yahweh, I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians and free you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh your God who delivered you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. In that passage, there are four cups to the Passover. The first is called the cup of sanctification. It's where, Jesus, where God says to the, Egyptians, to the Israelites, I will bring you out from Egypt. Then there's the cup of deliverance where he says, I will set you apart. Then there's the cup of redemption or blessing where he says, I will redeem you. And then there's the cup of praise or restoration where he says, I will take you. 
And every, every one of these cups in the Passover correlates to what Jesus did for us. Jesus sanctifies us. Jesus delivers us. Jesus redeems us. And one day, He will completely restore us. And both allusions to the cup in Luke's account, they refer to the third cup. Yes, they took cups one and two. But the two instances in the Gospel of Luke, they refer to the cup of redemption or the cup of blessing. And this is the cup that we take when we observe the Lord's Supper today. And this cup, this cup of redemption, this cup of blessing is important for a couple of reasons. First, it depicts unity among believers. It reminds us of what we have in common as believers. As believers, we may not have a lot of other things in common, but what one thing we have in common is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the Lord's table, we are to worship Him. We are to recognize Him. Because why? We belong to the same God. We worship the same God. We've experienced the same grace. We've experienced the same forgiveness. We are all new creations. We all have new hearts. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Second, Jesus uses this cup to usher in the new covenant. As this cup would represent the blood that Jesus would shed for us as He gave His life as a sacrifice for us. And so this cup, this cup of blessing, this cup of redemption, it has redemptive significance. Because through the shedding of His blood, Jesus provided a new way and the only way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be able to approach God. Without the shedding of Jesus' blood, Hebrews 9.22 says we couldn't have forgiveness of sin. If Jesus would have died any other way, we couldn't have been forgiven of our sins. That's why Jesus had to die the way that he did. That's why he had to shed his blood so we could be forgiven. Hebrews 10.19.20 also says this about the blood. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, meaning we can enter the presence of Jesus, there's only one way to do that. He says, through the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has inaugurated for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. The writer of Hebrews makes it very clear, the only way you can approach God, the only way that you and I can come before God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no other way Period. That is it. That is the only way one can be saved. That is the only way one can be made right with God. That is the only way one can have their sins forgiven. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I think of the hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can my sin erase, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of works, but all of grace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is pure. 
Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. The blood of Jesus was precious. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. The blood of Jesus is, is powerful. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. The blood of Jesus is powerful because it purges, it washes away our sins. It completely satisfies the Father's wrath. It gives us new life. It reconciles, it redeems, it liberates, it saves, it justifies, it forgives, it protects us from spiritual death, and it is sufficient. Hebrews 9.28 says, So also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. The sacrifice of Jesus was perfect. He only had to die once. He only had to shed his blood once so anyone could come to him and be saved. One final note about the fourth cup, which is the cup of restoration, the cup of praise. In Exodus 6-7, Jesus says, I will take you with my outstretched arm. What's interesting is Jesus does not drink from this cup. And he tells his followers that he will not drink from it again until he drinks it anew with us in his Father's kingdom. And we look at verses 16 and 18 in Luke chapter 22. Jesus said that he would no longer celebrate Passover until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Meaning the next time that he was going to partake of the bread and the wine would be with us and the Father at the final heavenly banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus anticipated a future celebration of the Passover in heaven. And he's waiting for all his people to be gathered unto him. And then there will be a great supper. Revelation 19 calls this the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is only reserved for those who've given their life to Christ. So are we to remember the Lord's Supper? Absolutely. Why are to remember it? Because we are to remember the sovereignty of God. We are to remember the new covenant of, of salvation that Jesus ushered in. We are to remember the suffering that He endured. We are to remember the sacrifice He made for us. Why? So we could be free from the bondage of